Welcome to Making Action Happen with Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. We're here to discuss public policy issues in our home state of Colorado and beyond. Making Action Happen is presented by Action 22. Find out more about our organization at action22.org. Now, here are your hosts, Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Making Action Happen, the show that we do for Action 22 for our listeners in Colorado and for those around the world. Um, we're doing something a little bit different uh, today. Um, I'm up here in Alaska on vacation and I can't, for whatever reason, stop working. And before we came up after this last legislative session, I've been giving a lot of thought to the people who make a living just producing our food, the food that we eat and the people that do that. And this is not a nine to five or an eight to five job. This is a lifestyle, the people that that produce our food. So while we were up here, um, I started going to coffee with everybody, some of these old fishermen down here um, who've been doing it a long time. And I got to um, know our friend uh, Don Nash here, who has been, uh, I don't know, a figure, an icon, if you will, um, up here in Haines, Alaska. And so I asked him to come on and be on the show and just talk to us a little bit about uh, what it is he does and and just sort of, uh, you know, tell stories and do all that. So Don Nash, everybody. Hello. Hello. Um, So first tell, I want to tell everybody a little bit about you. So are you originally from Haines? No. I'm actually originally from, I hate to say it, Seattle. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> my older brother and all my younger siblings were born in Juneau. Okay. But I was not, somehow. Okay. Well, we won't we won't hold that against you for the purposes of this show. Um, up there, it's sort of like saying, um, no, I'm not from here, but I was, I, I have a lot of family there. We hear that a lot, but, yeah. um, you know, people always want to try to be Coloradans, but, um, but you're Alaskan and how long have you been in Haines? You've been here for Since, a long time. Um, 1986. Okay. Yeah. Since 86. So besides fishing, you've also coached basketball. You've been a basketball ref. You've been, I do, uh, Depending on how poor the fishing year is, I do construction. Oh, okay. I've, I've built some houses, and I do a lot of finish work. I have a little client base of little old ladies that can't fix their little things that bother them. And, <laughs> so and, and by the way, you, you said old fishermen when you started this. I wasn't talking about you. I was talking about Ronnie Martin, who is older than dirt. <laughs> Um, and, uh, oh, who else is, we always have coffee with every morning. Well, um, Bruce. Oh, Bruce, of course. David um, Land. Bill, oh, David Bill Thomas. Land. Yes, Bill Thomas was there. Yeah. Um, so it's just every morning they go down about 6.30 as soon as that little coffee shop opens the Rusty Compass. Um, that's a favorite. It has stayed open while COVID was going on and um, they've managed to stay. So, um and, and I have to tell everybody, a lot of people who know me know this about me, but uh, my husband, TJ, of course, um, graduated high school here, but he grew up in a native village south of here um, called Angoon, and he went to Mount Edgecombe, and he came here for high school. Um, and one of the things that uh, 
people down south really don't understand, I didn't understand until I came up here, is basketball. Nobody's kidding about basketball or fishing up here. So basketball, fishing, and hunting, those are the things we're not kidding about. One of the things we inherited from the native culture was uh, the idea of potlatches. And right. uh, it's basically a get together uh, to celebrate harvests and different things. And basketball's kind of taken over um, that with our tournaments that we have in the winter. And um, it's always something that people look forward to. Yeah. Basketball is really a, a big deal. We were. Um, we were driving by and they have a basketball court that's covered and regardless of what time of year you're going to see kids on the basketball court um, here and then I mean it's just a big it's a really big deal so let's talk a little bit about fishing so we're on your boat right now mm -hmm. um, and if you're watching this on YouTube you're going to see some of the um, the pictures of his boat and the harbor in Haines and um, all those things but your you troll. So tell these these guys have no idea what that means. Okay, first or it of means all, something very it's, different. It's down there. spelled T R O L L, and it's confused a lot with troll, which is T R A W L. We fish just like you would in Colorado in a lake if you were if you were trolling a spoon through the water from a boat, a moving boat, or if you're casting from the shore, you might have a spinner. We, we do exactly the same thing, but commercially we do it with power. We have uh, hydraulic girdies that go up and down and we snap, we call them spreads, and with attractants on them, uh, hoochies, sometimes we use herring for bait. Um, and we catch fish one at a time. Um, we handle each one one at a time. We hope there's more than one on a line when we pull it up. and. Uh, uh, we we treat every fish as an individual fish, clean it, ice it, bring it to a buyer, and uh, the fresher we can get it to them, the better it is for you or whoever else would buy it. And uh, uh, lately, um, bleeding the fish and the quality of the fish has become really important, and so we catch less fish some days because we're trying to take better care of the fish so that we get right. a higher price when we sell it. And, uh, so you're getting ready to go out for salmon. Uh, July Kings. 1st is a king salmon opening and the season will remain open for the rest of the summer for uh, cohos, which are, are silver salmon. For some reason there's two names for every salmon in Alaska. There's five species so there's ten names you got to remember. Yeah. Anyway, coho's a silver, coho's king salmon's a, silver. a chinook. Right. Humpy is a pink. A dog salmon is a chum. Sockeye's and a red. And sockeye's a red. Yeah. So, yeah. so, um, so you'll do that. Um, how long have you been doing with this setup, and how long have you been doing this? I've been fishing since '79 uh, with a commercial power troll permit. Uh, I started hand trolling, which is hand cranking uh, <laughs> went in 1973 and kind of um, supplemented my income working as a cold storage employee basically. Oh, okay. For, I did that for like five years. Because most of the, most everybody up here they'll fish and then they also have another gig because fishing of course is very seasonal. You know that we, we call the best fisherman the guy that's married to a state worker or a teacher. 
Oh yes, yes. Then, then they have this, the chance to make pretty good money in the summer, but they also have the supplemental winter income. So uh, my husband comes up and fishes every year and he fishes with uh, Andrew Frisky. He commercial fishes with Andrew Frisky. And I remember kind of laughing at Andrew. He's got a really great setup and I mean, he spends a lot of money and um, his, uh, his accountant, uh, he said last year that his accountant told him um, that he, he's a principal or a school administrator of some sort. And he says that he does that to supplement his fishing. Mm -hmm. um, because he does this every year and it's yeah. just such a part of the culture here it's almost like you wouldn't do anything else yeah that you know andrew's uh, a young guy that has a lot of energy and he he does multiple things all at the same time yeah. you know he crabs he fishes he he guides takes clients out uh and he's the dorm principal so he works at a school oh, that yes. is, there's only two state funded um boarding schools in Alaska. One of them's in Sitka and he works there. Right. And then the other one's in Galena. But uh, So in Alaska, state-run boarding schools, there's so many villages that don't have, um, some of these native villages that don't, are too small to have high schools. Exactly, yeah. So they have these state-run boarding schools yeah. um, up here and uh, it's at, they're actually really, end up being really great schools. Um, for yeah. these, a lot of native kids to go to, and it doesn't. You know, and have and to be you, native, no, and and uh, our son, when he was a sophomore, our son Song went there for oh, a year okay. because he was balking at our rules, and he found out that they have kind of the same kind of rules at the boarding school. It's actually kind of refreshing for us <laughs> as parents. <laughs> and, like, and he oh, went, he came back and went, oh heck, it's the same. It's the same yeah. thing. We're yeah. you've got rules wherever you go. So I want to talk a little bit about Haynes last year and. So I first came up here um, with my husband. He wasn't, I wasn't married then, but um, with my husband in 93. Um, and then we came back every summer and this was, you know, our oldest son was born in uh, Juneau and this is where we were gonna be. But um, I, you know, one thing led to another, we were back in Colorado, but you know, I've always had such a heart for Haynes and this last year, 2020, was particularly difficult for this community. There's so there was COVID, which was hard on everybody, but there were so many more layers of things going yeah, on we, in Haynes. We had the, the perfect storm of events, really. Um, but uh, the hardest thing for a lot of us, with especially the COVID issue, was just coping with the, the mandates that didn't apply to a small isolated community. So many communities in Alaska had no COVID issues because of their uh, built-in isolation. Right. And yet, you know, with travel restrictions and the biggest blow for us is our closest neighbor city-wise to drive to is um, Haines Junction and Whitehorse and we can't go through the Canadian border and haven't been allowed for over a year now. And that really has caused a lot of um, you know, just you, you, when you lose a freedom that you've had, it's, it's yeah. tough to deal with. Well, you know. and, and tourism's a big, is a big moneymaker for Haynes. It had, it always exactly. has been, or it has been for a really long time. The, the Alaska Highway brings a lot of, a lot of tourists to Haynes and, uh, our, one of our main ferries, small boat ferries, um, he said 90% of his clients come off the highway and with the border closed, he's not doing anything. So it was that last year and this year because the border's still not exactly. open. Exactly. So yeah. all the RV parks and all of that. So that revenue. Right. Um, we're not. They're not getting that revenue. 
Um, and then in December, there was a, we'll call it a rain event. And then it caused something like. We had, uh, we had six inches of wet slushy snow that the kind that holds water. Right. And uh, then we had tropical, we, we are in the northern end of the um, rainforest, the, the Pacific Coast rainforest. And uh, so rain is not an unusual event, but the amount of rain we had in about a, a 48 hour period was like almost unprecedented. And uh, did you get that otter? <laughs> There's yep. an otter right there. Yeah. Two sea otters right there. They've been yeah. in the background the whole time. Anyway. Uh, oh, did you get them? <laughs> I think so. You know, I was leaning over the rail over here, painting the stern around the letters yesterday, and he came up like a foot from my face and went, ah! <laughs> and then he, when he turned, he splashed my fresh paint with oh, salt water. Oh, darn it. But anyway, uh, back to the slide. Uh, it, it, so it held all this water, and it was a tremendous amount of weight. And this is not unique. It happens a lot. Uh, in southeast Alaska with the steep mountainsides coming down and there's no uh, soil structure under the trees and everything there's a foot or two feet of whatever and then the trees grow right on top of it and and unless a root goes in it doesn't hold it yeah anyway this whole hillside came loose and and took a couple houses into the bay with it and we lost a couple of young people that were um, in there 20s and one had, was a Haynes girl who had just gotten a, a teaching job here at her hometown yeah. and Kindergarten and teacher. the other one was uh, a young man that came to Haynes a couple of years ago and fell in love with it and said I'm going to live there and he was 27 I think and he was going to be doing economic development he, for Haynes. he was he was actually been working for about six months months as the economic development I don't know what his word was, but something like helper. I know he helped me with some of the uh, the Alaska Cares COVID type applications that fishermen right. could apply for, people that had been impacted by by the uh, the mandates. Yeah. So. so there's planes going over too, but that's the noises, the otters and the boats going by and the and the planes going. I. I didn't want to do this like in a studio setting. I wanted all those sounds behind us because I—it's hard to really, um, really express how it is up here. Um, so, will you talk just a little bit? Because you know, I—I I was on—I was messaging back and forth with a, a friend of mine from the Colorado Farm Bureau um, down there, Sean Martini, and and uh, they're having their conference today or yesterday, um, and the comment was. Rural issues are rural issues are rural issues wherever they're at. Um, mm -hmm. How did the CARES money help you guys out or did it or what did you guys do? Well, a large part of the money came to Alaska and was, was given to uh, different agencies in the government to figure out ways to disperse it. And the biggest one that impacted me was the Alaska CARES Act. And uh, it was, as a lot of things are with governments, a little bit hard to figure out. Yeah. So I got my daughter, who has grown up with a computer and understands how to fill out every line and know which <laughs> button to click. She spent about a week putting together kind of a portfolio of information that they required. And uh, uh, it, basically it resulted in almost a summer season's worth of income for us. Now, oh, okay. I, I will say that we weren't impacted 
by COVID as fishermen because it's it's deemed essential, just right. like farmers. And uh, uh, we are so much like farmers. The, the only difference is we get a little different view every day because we don't have to plow the same land. But, right. But we go out and try to, you know, the ocean is our incubator and we just try to harvest the fish that the ocean puts there and you know different different agencies put fish back in and okay. we we pay for a lot of that three percent of my income goes directly to aquaculture to oh yeah to enhancement projects and we we catch a pretty large percentage of hatchery uh introduced fish okay that come back to us but they go away when they're they're fingerling about this long and they go out in the ocean and it's kind of luck of the draw whether they get eaten or they come back so we can eat them <laughs> it's yeah. because uh it's big fish eat little fish down in the water and uh but but when my daughter applied for that for us we we just and then there's deadlines and we got it in the day the deadline of course, closed off right some of my fishing friends were out fishing and they didn't hear about it and so there's a little bit of oh, yeah. you know a lot of people we we make our living in uh june july and august and a little bit in september and a lot of these things came out when people were fishing when people were fishing so they didn't have any idea and there was no one really so david this young man had helped uh about four i think he told me about 40 different gill netters here in haynes supply okay. because i'm a troller i leave i go 100 miles away and fish out in the ocean but the gill netters come and go from haynes every opening every okay. week and they're fishing also and a lot of them are like me they're not computer literate but this young guy had just come out of college he had several degrees and he could he could sit there and in in two or three minutes do what might take me a week to do yeah and yeah. he told me that he had helped the local fishermen to the point of almost a million dollars of grant applications and different different CARES Act things. And so, so the helper, we, you lost the helper. Mm -hmm. um, the there was a lot of homes that were affected, and even if they didn't get hit by the slide. Mm -hmm. They're cut up. There's a lot of homes that are cut off out there. Uh, there were several homes in other places that were pushed off their foundation from smaller slides, or, or, or mainly, a lot of the major damage done besides the big slide were, were, uh, cricks and drainages that washed out. Oh yeah. And they're pushing boulders and rocks down, and and the attrition of that constant battering. Um, some people were lucky and and got sandbags and were able to divert it a little bit but it all happened pretty fast yeah and it was so unusual um you know the in all the years i've lived here i've never seen it that bad we always have roads wash out but that's right. normal but yeah and you're prepared for that yeah. to have the roads wash out but this was a so the other thing that i that is sad and and frustrating is that um a lot of these these folks um the insurance declared it's an act of god yeah and so they're just out and there's just nothing. So on the tail end of all of this, these guys are losing, people are losing their homes. There's all these yeah. displaced families there and there's no way for them to. Well, you know, the community kind of pulled together a lot. Uh, the communities in Southeast were very supportive. We, even about a month after the disaster, we got a van off the ferry from uh, I think it was from Wrangell or Petersburg, and they had parked it 
on the road with a big sign and people would bring things uh, to put in it and they sent it up here, you know, with oh, love from wow. Petersburg or, or Wrangell or maybe it was both of them. And then some folks in Juneau put a 40-foot uh, a uh, rental van in the parking lot of Fred Meyer and asked for Christmas uh, don't. Uh, decoration donations and oh. my wife was involved with a group of people that put together about 40 I think it was about 40 um, complete packages of Christmas decorations including a small Christmas tree and everything you would need because we had um, both hotels were almost full because there were people that were in slide zones that were advised to vacate right and so there was those kind of people there was people that were cut off when the slide happened there's about i don't know a dozen homes on the other side of it and the fishermen were the ones that ran out and picked them yeah, up and got them back in. yeah there was a, a lot of boats out tr searching through the debris because you know for about four days they were just spent a lot of time looking for david and janae and uh were who were never found and uh so um Anyway, you know, I think I think fishing committees are a lot like the smaller rural farm areas where if, you know there's something that there's happens. There's something everybody's people, gonna... people draw together. Yeah, and, for sure. Uh, uh, our mayor, you know, did a great job, but he was uh, he was just voted in, and right, like somebody a few told weeks. yeah, and somebody had told him, well, you know, it's an easy job. You just have to run meetings. <laughs> And then this happened. You, you know, know, we were watching and calling and everything, and it, I mean, I, and he, I mean, he's relatively, I think he's our age, I think he's about our age, so I'll to, um, to do that. Um, somebody's heading him. Um, but it sounds like everything, by all reports, he just did an excellent job yeah, through all of it. Yeah, he had a, he had a real tough, it, it turned into kind of a PR job uh, more than anything and um, so, you know sometimes you get so much help offers and stuff but how do you put it to use and, yeah. and the best use and in a, and a time of COVID right yeah. so all, you know there are agencies that were sending up help and then they were trying to socially distance while you're looking for people and just yeah I had a friends in Sitka that called me and said, we want to send money, but we don't want to send it to a large organization. Right. So I put them in contact with the Manistorial Association, and it kind of backfired on me because that money ended up in our church uh, treasury, and our pastor said, uh, we, don't, we need to get this money out of here and get it to people that need it. Yeah. And... and Somehow I ended up as the head of that committee. <laughs> so my wife and I are calling and we're trying to do detective work to find out who, who needs, needs the money. money and what, yeah. I never realized how hard it was to give away money. And with no strings attached, they didn't have to see some, some, if you go to um, some of the bigger organizations, you have to bring in, they, they want paperwork. And, yeah. and there's some, some people here that just didn't want to be hassled with paperwork. We finally got rid of it. And it wasn't a large amount of money. It was like $27,000 or something. Right. But we had people say, no, I don't want it. There might be people that need, it, it, more. need it more. And that was the biggest sentiment. And we had we had to talk to some people. Finally, I got frustrated and we, we got a list of about eight people that we knew were impacted. 
and we went and uh, put it on their uh, electric bill. And so they didn't have any choice about it. They got it that oh, way. Oh, that's super creative. <laughs> yeah. Like just, yeah, yeah just and, uh, pay for their electricity or do yeah, something. But, but these were the people in Sitka Center were just fishermen or one of them was a, uh, a Coast Guard retired Coast Guard guy that does our uh, boat exams. You know, we have to get an oh, exam, yeah. safety exam every two years and we get a sticker. You have to have the proper life-saving gear and things right. like that. And I had met him up through the years with our um, inspections. But uh, So let's talk about that, about the regulations. You know, the, <laughs> the ag industry and the food producing industry, it's so heavily, heavily regulated. What does that look like for a fisherman? Well, it's about, uh, I would say it's, it's about $2,000 a year in direct licensing. Okay. You know, professional fees, direct licensing. Um, to, to, to redo my sticker every two years, uh, the Coast Guard likes timed things and they don't they don't like a, a piece of equipment on your boat that hasn't been inspected right. or has new batteries or whatever and some of these batteries for epurbs and things are pretty expensive so like for instance my four-man raft it costs about four or five thousand dollars to buy it but every year i have to send it to seattle to get repacked so they pop it open they check all the time stuff oh, and it so yeah. it cost me an average of about twelve hundred dollars a year just to do that so I, I think that dollar for dollar trolling is still one of the cheaper uh types of fishery to right. get into but the regulations as far as the licenses and the, the safety regulations are the same for almost all the fisheries for gotcha. gillnetters for saners for longliners right and i'm lucky because i can longline uh, also, I have some poundage that I can longline, and uh, besides trolling, so that really supplements our income. So, as far as actually catching fish, are there any rules about catching fish? Do you get to just catch whatever you want, whenever you want? I usually catch mine right here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a standard joke and a comeback when you know, because fishermen like to be secretive, uh, but. With the cell phones and communication, uh, it's hard to keep a secret anymore for more than about a day. Right. If the fish are really biting someplace. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the standard answer is, where did you catch those fish? It's like right here. Right there, yeah. But see, and the other joke that I like is gillnetters catch their fish by being gilled. You know, the fish swim into it and they get stuck around right. their gills. And my fish have to choose to die. Oh, they, they oh. have they have to bite that bait, and they, some fishermen are just better at causing those fish to bite that bait. Right, right. And you always think there's some mystique about it, or some people are lucky. The only way I've ever fish. been able to be successful is to keep my gear in the water. Um, I call it from can see to can't see. We don't they don't bite very well in the dark, or we'd probably fish 24 hours a day. But yeah, um, we. Starting July 1st, you know, I'll have the gear in by 4 a.m. and probably won't pull it till 10 right. at night. So why July 1st? Um, the, our openings kept being moved back with fish conservation issues. And uh, the biggest impact over the years for us has been the Columbia River dams. Okay. And uh, that system was producing a huge percentage of the fish that Alaskans caught because they go out 
in the Gulf and they kind of mill around and the Gulf just uh, is like an incubator for all the, even Californian rivers, those fish would come up. Uh, and now with the tagging programs, the biologists know exactly where a lot of these fish are coming from, but some of the upriver Colombian um, runs were killed. They're gone. They're, they won't oh, come yeah. back. And those were those larger fish. Oh, gotcha. And when I started fishing, I was in um, in the early 70s, was on the tail end of some of those big fish still being around. But our average for king salmon has gone down from 20, 18 to 20 pounds of fish. This is claimed right. and gilled to about 11, 10 to 11 pounds now. Wow. And it's the difference between the all the big natural runs versus a lot of the enhanced hatchery fish yeah and uh you know there's so many other conditions it's hard to blame or point your finger at any one thing it's it's layered it's yeah, it's, it's this, very on layered. this on this i mean you this. could put two million fingerlings in the water and if they get on good feed and there aren't a lot of predators around you might get a million of them back but yeah. it could be the first couple of years, the fishing game had to learn things also. They they grew all these uh, eggs up to fingerling size and they released them and a humpback whale happened to be right there and he ate them all. <laughs> you know, a humpback whale can eat a lot of fish and those little fish were in a, a nice little school and he just, and then guess who, guess where he was the next year, right about that time. The whales are the smart. The whales are smart, yeah. I. I put the intelligence of a whale at a, a good bird dog's intelligence. I think okay. I think they're very similar in intelligence, and they learn very fast. Uh, we deal with sperm whales when we're fishing black cod out in the deeper water, and sperm whales are, are very intelligent, and they they know that when they hear the hydraulics turn on on a boat, and oh, they, yeah. they can hear that. I mean, they live with their sonar. Uh, they come to the boat. Yeah. You know? Do you get fish stolen off your line? Oh. Ever? Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's common. I don't count the fish as mine until I get it on the deck. Because yeah. there's a lot of things that'll take it. There's sharks. We have, uh, in the waters off the Alaskan coast, a lot of people don't realize it, but great white sharks are cold water fish. And we have great whites. Uh, on our last halibut trip, I had a, about a 90-pound halibut with its tail about a foot up from the where the meat starts was completely bit off and there was those distinctive v-shaped teeth yeah. marks on there and fishermen have caught great whites in oh. their in their gear so they know they're they're out there but we have a poor beagle which we call a salmon shark it follows the schools of cohos okay around and uh uh, then we have a blue shark that's not very big and has smaller teeth, but still does, you know. So, yes, we have, we have, it, it's nothing different than having pests in the farming area, why they use pesticides, yeah. you know. We we just have to. Uh, it's just up, part of the game. Yeah, we just put up with it. It's just part of the game. You just keep, you just keep the line wet. Yeah, and the best thing about a shark bit king salmon is you can barbecue the rest of it. <laughs> can confirm yeah yeah so what's the future of fishery what does it look like in five years when i started uh when i started fishing it, in the 70s it was the same gloom and doom as i hear now yeah and that was how many 40 years ago right and uh, i'm i'm an optimist i've always been an optimist and uh 
I feel like that uh, these kids that go off to college and decide they want to become biologists, they they uh, study like like Alaska was lucky because they studied all the things that departments had done wrong, and Alaska was on the leading edge of hatcheries and enhancement and things like that. And uh, so I, I guess I'm one that kind of trusts that that the the ocean is so um, uh, productive and and rebounds so fast. Right. And and a good example is whales. Uh, when I started fishing, you know, you see humpbacks once in a while, but we never saw a, uh, you know, the whales that, that get our um, black cod when we're fishing out there, um, the sperm whales. And now there are uh, groups of sperm whales up and down the coast. In fact, they have tagged them and you can actually go I don't know if it's on Google or what, but you can Google sperm whales and you can actually follow them on your computer. They, there's, a, there's a site so fishermen can see where the concentrations are. But I've seen schools of fin whales, which are a really large whale, uh, close to the size of the blue whales. Um, I've seen 40 or 50 of them spread over a 10 mile area. Right. Uh, we have the gray whales coming through. I mean, there there are a lot of whales. The the population of, of humpbacks have gotten so large that the young bulls don't go to Hawaii anymore in the wintertime. They always used to go there. Yeah. But because because the bigger, you know, they call the, the males, the, the bigger males, it's all about breeding. And yeah. they, they don't want to get beat up. So they, oh. they've been staying. We've had humpbacks right here in southeast in the wintertime in January. It's not uncommon to see a whale. That never happened 20 years ago. Wow. And uh, so the ocean can replenish itself if we allow it to. And trolling is kind of a scheme, the, skim the cream kind of fishery. Our impact is uh, only as much as they allow us to fish. You right. Know? And gill netters fish terminal areas, which means they're closer to where the salmon are spawning, so it's easier for the biologists to control escapement. Escapement is what they call it when the salmon get into the rivers and are not actually allowed to spawn. Okay. And, you know, silver fishing in the rivers here is a big thing, but honestly, I have never been able to, in good conscience, catch a coho in a river and take it home and eat it because it got through my all my peers fleet it got yeah. through all the gill nets and by the time it gets to the river i figure it should have a it should have a free it. pass yeah you know? i love that anyway uh uh so um i i'm like again i'll say it i'm optimistic and and trolling we have bad days and we have good days and uh, uh but it's a lifestyle thing it is i uh when you referred to the old fisherman earlier, I, I thought, you know, most of us feel like we're 18. We're just in an old person's body. No. And because yeah. we love what we're doing. Absolutely. And you come back and do it yeah. again and again. And, you know, um, my husband, TJ, like he can't be up here and not start looking at boats and not start doing that. And I'm thinking, you know, he's talking about, okay, when I retire in a couple of years, I can do this. And I'm like, when you would retire in a couple of years, but it's so in who you, all you guys are. It's so, as I sit there and listen to your stories and listen to you guys interact with each other, 
it's just it's breathing for you almost it's, exactly it's so well i'm i'm sure that tj has a lot of memories of the fleet in angoon which is one of the smaller fleets but there's people there that were good fishermen you know yeah. I, knew, I knew some of the trollers from from angoon but um uh it's something that is uh kind of bleeds it bleeds out through everything around here you know and uh from the blessing of the fleet in the spring to the fisherman's appreciation ball that yeah. usually takes place and and uh i, I know that uh, a personal story about tj <laughs> is that uh, my son lee and him are the same age tj's a year older but they were uh they were on a track team together and they they were doing the four by 400 i think four by two four by two anyway uh, there there was a fisherman's ball in the spring and uh i think lee was a senior or junior you were a senior yep and uh he, they went and and of course fishermen they always have beer at these things and nobody was policing any of the kids or nothing and <laughs> and come to find out they had some kind of uh contract thing that the kids had to sign and so Lee being who he was and my son I was proud of him he confessed that he'd had a beer at the fisherman's ball so uh, they they didn't allow him to go to state the kids had qualified for state which is a big deal oh you have to play head. against yeah. all the uh, there's about what, seven or eight schools in southeast that you had to compete against to get this uh, bid to state so Lee didn't, wasn't allowed to go and I don't know who ran his place I don't even remember how they did but I know Lee still talks about it. And he's forty-seven. <laughs> we uh, we we definitely missed having Lee yeah. lead off our relay there. Yeah, uh, that's it, a lot. Anyway, that's a lot that's, to that's do. life in Southeast with fishermen. Uh, uh, sometimes sometimes kids grow up fast, you know, and uh, most of the kids have something to do with a fishing boat at one point of time in their life like i had a couple high school kids down here just a couple days ago helping me do the grid work and one of them showed up in tennis shoes and i said uh doesn't your dad own a boat we're gonna be on the grid it's like water yeah. mud yeah so he had to borrow a pair of my boots and they they refused to put rain gear on and they got paint black paint all over themselves everywhere <laughs> just typical teenagers but but they they have learn that they can do something on a boat one of them helped me unload our last load of halibut and uh, uh so the kids kids around here have opportunities just as in I, I had a friend when he came up here fishing he said this is a lot easier than running irrigation pipe oh yeah <laughs> or running fence or yeah. whatever down there and, no it's yeah. yeah he was from idaho and worked for a farmer one summer in the hundred degree heat Ugh. Yeah. Anyway, he'd rather be up here fishing. Well, every fish we catch, we have to, you know, we have. There's tug and and they're trying to get away and we're trying to catch them and there's one hook in their mouth and and uh, we stun them. We don't use nets. We try to hit them on the top of the head. Yeah. And get them in the boat so that there's no scale loss because it's a it's a food item that as soon as it hits the deck becomes food. And yeah. so we have to treat it. Uh, we want it to look as nice and not yeah. be bruised and, and everything. So there's a whole bunch that goes into it. Oh yeah, just little, little like you said, little layers. You just keep adding to it. You know. 
So um, I'd like to finish this off with um, asking a, a couple, this one question. Um, so if you, if there was anything that you wish that maybe the people on the receiving end of the fish, the, the final consumer of, of the fish that you catch, that you wish they understood that you think maybe they don't, what would it be? Um, that wasn't on the list of questions. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. She didn't give me a list of questions. Um, well, uh, we, we have uh, some young people in the last 10 years that have started small startup cold storage operations. Right. And it, it's all about quality, not quantity. And it, it's kind of the high-end thing. Like if you see, you, you get online and you find somebody you can buy vacuum-packed uh, pressure bled salmon that's like $20 a pound. Well, it's probably the best fish that you can buy and thaw out and cook. It's ready to cook. There's nothing you have to do to it except find a recipe you like and cook it. But uh, the, the, the main, I don't know, that's not really something I thought about. The main difference is, <laughs> is know the difference between a trawler and a trawler because a trawler is usually a corporation or a large right. entity and the trawlers in the Bering Sea's bycatch of king salmon is larger than the total allowable catch of all the commercial fleet in Alaska. And that's just from however many trawlers are out in the Bering Sea. Right. And so the the main difference is, is another difference between the two words. Between the two words. Okay. A trawler is usually a family. It's, it's usually... A lot of times it's a husband and wife, yeah. a, a fathers and sons. Uh, my nephew, who's 19 in college, is going to join me tomorrow, and, and he's been fishing with me for four years now. Before that, I had my niece for four years. And yeah. uh, it's actually a good living for the kids. They can make a lot more money than they can make minimum wage. Right. Um, and uh, I love it when they make a lot more money because that means I, I, we do shares. They don't work for a certain amount. They, they get a share of the catch. And uh, whether it's 10% or 15% or 20% or right. whatever you think they're worth. But they have to help produce those fish. You know, yeah. that doesn't just happen. And so uh, I, I, guess, I guess what I wish people knew that maybe they don't know is the, the understanding of the terms and the differences there's a lot of fish that are put on the market that are not wild caught salmon right and there's a lot of unscrupulous merchandising going on and not a lot of government oversight on the quality of fish you're kind of stuck so the government it, oversight is of you, but not of no the, uh, of the, the whole marketing. food yeah. marketing program. Like, like, like beef has a FD, what, what do they call that approval? Yeah. You know, they get little stamps on it. Yeah, there's nothing like that with fish. Uh, yeah, it, but it's better when we have these young guys that have started these. There's I I know of three operations in Sitka, Pelican, and here that have started in the last ten years by by kids, I'm going to call them kids, uh, around 30 years old, and they're using the internet. And so if you, if you just take a little bit of time on the computer and do some Googling, you can, you can understand pretty fast the differences in qualities of fish that are out there. Um, 
Sitka Salmon Shares is one operation. Yukobi Fishery in Pelican, Alaska is is another one. And and, and again, their families, um, the people in Pelican are a young family that the wife worked on a, a buying scow for quite a few years. That's how she met her now husband, fisherman, yes. who decided it would be better on the family if they started this business. And uh, they do an online order system. Uh, and then there's here, there's Haynes Packing, um, Harry Reitz. Oh, yeah. And uh, he, he does a wonderful job. In fact, he cuts fish and vacuum packs them for Sitka Salmon Shares. And they're big. They've, they've just bloomed. You'll see them advertised on national TV. And uh, we love that. And I, there's a lot of parallels between um, the fishing industry here and uh, cattle producers there in Colorado. And so right. um, what, I, what I'm hearing from you right now is what we love to hear is that um, these producers are going to figure out how to improve all the time without that government oversight, without that. They're just it, doing it on their own because it a, makes, it's the right thing yeah. and, and they do a better job. They want to create a better product. They want to take care of the right. environment when they do it. So I, I only know these people personally, but uh, Seth's operation, he ships fish to Texas and they, they go to shows and oh, they'll yeah. actually have a booth where they're actually cooking it for people. Oh, yeah. And my daughter sent me a link to a, a picture from their website and it was a young woman in Texas and she's holding up a vacuum packed uh, coho it's about a seven or eight pounder and it's the whole fish is vacuum packed there's no head on it and there's a white sticker right on the middle of it and and she said dad zoom in on that sticker and so I zoomed in on the sticker and this is in Texas I didn't know anything about this I didn't know Seth was doing this but he puts the label Every time they mark off their their line of fish that they're processing from a different boat, mm -hmm. they start putting different labels on the packaging. And so that white label said, this fish was caught by our friend Don Nash on the Shinnecoop. Wow. So our, the oversight over me as an individual fisherman to produce a really the highest quality the highest fish you quality. can get is really high. You're letting the market drive. And she had yes. this huge, big smile oh, on her face. So and she cool. knew exactly. If she wanted to call me and say, hey, this fish has a bruise on it or whatever, she could she really do called, that. She could really do that. Yeah, well, you know, I'm not hiding, you know. <laughs> So and so, you your name is on it. You're gonna you're gonna do a good right, job. And with so it. yeah. So the uh, the just a little bit of um, a little bit of uh, schooling yourself on what's available could could go could a long go, ways. Could yeah. go a long way. Yeah. And then there is that sort of direct to table kind of idea right. um, that's coming from they're, there they're that actually, we love so much. They're actually taking out about two parts of the middle part of the equation so they don't go to a cold storage they don't go to a broker and it's not a large lot some of the large cold storages that freeze several million pounds a year might want to sell a 20,000 pound lot of fish oh yeah whereas these small markets marketers are trying to ship out 20 pounds at a time or five pounds at a time or, or whatever a person can afford and they sell it out they're not it's not they're, like it's sitting that gets no no sold they're out. they're in fact the reason sick salmon shares has gotten a hold of harry is because they they don't they, they can't, can't keep, get enough to they supply the demand they have so they're getting other people to do it 
and and also on our end of the thing um, I'm not saying that old people old fishermen um, uh, can't learn things but we're we're we've got a much younger uh, skipper fleet now oh yeah and and they're smarter because they've had to learn with smaller seasons and smaller pound totals is how do we make the most money out of it well the first answer is quality yeah and uh, so they've learned how to bleed fish and we've had to learn how to I, I yeah. didn't pressure bleed fish until about six years ago right it's it's kind of a what freezer boats have always done right but uh, but ice boats the difference is there are some boats like the one that TJ works on where they they head and gill their fish and bleed them and make them look just beautiful and then they stick them on trays down in the hold which is like i think andrew's boat yeah it has like 40 40 degree below zero those <laughs> and fish TJ are, crawls in there i got pictures it's crazy yeah he's he looks like the space monkey down there yeah all dressed up <laughs> we, we we prefer the term fish ninja but fish, ninja, fish ninja yeah, yeah. yeah. okay well, <laughs> well you have to start dressing in black then because i think there's a lot of a lot he, of he, other colors involved. he just ordered the hood yesterday so yeah yeah Got so, my black earned and I'm ready to roll. Yeah. <laughs> well, and we love to hear that, um, you know, these these younger guys, it's it's almost like a, you're doing a handoff, you know, and it's they're developing in that. And that's I think that's something that is a little bit lacking in, in some of the ag producers down there is how do we the sustainability as far as having younger people getting into the industry and doing that. But yeah. up here, that's that's happening sort of organically and naturally um don's getting ready to head out um he's going to be gone for um up in the fishing grounds for all of july and into august and then um he'll be back so we're going to say goodbye to him hey chad worthman i know you're listening um because i you know you want to be up here in alaska um so maybe next year i'll let you come up um, but we'll see. Um, join us next week where I ask a lot of more overly complicated questions. And Brian McCain explains to his wife that instead of buying land down in Trinidad, he's going to be buying property up here in Alaska. And we're going to move the whole operation up here. We'll talk to you about it next week. Thanks. We'll see you then. Goodbye. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in to Making Action Happen. Be sure to join your hosts, Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain, for another edition of the show next Thursday at 1 p.m. Mountain Time, 12 noon Pacific Time, and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.